0: Act like an owner, one of our behaviors. I mentioned it earlier, and I think, don't have it be someone else's job, make it your job, make it everyone on your team's job to think about that experience and organize at least a part of your work and your mindset to be hyper-conscious about how you can make that a better experience. Hello and welcome to the Customer Experience Show. Today, we're talking with Scott Finlow, the Chief Marketing Officer for the PepsiCo Food Service Division. Scott has been with PepsiCo for 25 years, serving in a variety of marketing roles in the U.S. and Asia. Scott and his team are responsible for translating deep consumer and customer insights into innovation and experiences that accelerate growth, build brands with purpose, and transform the business for the future. In this episode, Scott talks about creating centers of excellence in a large company, operating with a digital-first mindset, and catering to experiential consumers. This podcast is brought to you by IBM. If you are responsible for customer experience, we created a white paper just for you. In the CX North Star report, you can learn more about how to activate your CX vision. Download it with the link in the show notes.
1: Have you ever felt that your customer experience was getting a little stale? It can happen fast, but there are ways to stay relevant. There are ways to increase your sustainability, and there's no better time to start than now. Today, we're talking about refreshing your customer experience with Scott Finlow. He's Chief Marketing Officer for the PepsiCo Food Service Division, and he knows how a digital-first mindset can make your CX pop. Hello, everyone, and welcome again to another episode of the Customer Experience Show. I'm Phil Dillard, your host, here today with Scott Finlow, Chief Marketing Officer for the PepsiCo Food Service Division. How are you today, Scott?
0: I'm doing great, Phil. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. It's a a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Getting started here, our first episode of 2022. So super excited to have you with us. I, I was reading your bio And the background, you know, everybody on the planet knows who PepsiCo is, but they probably don't know a lot about the different divisions, especially the $5 billion food service division. You've been PepsiCo for over 22 years. Can you tell us a little bit about how your role has evolved since your early days at the company?
0: Yeah, I I won't take it personally if everyone doesn't know uh, about my background in addition to PepsiCo. So I'll, I'll spend a minute on that. Yeah, a number of years with the company uh, in a variety of different roles. They've spanned both marketing roles as well as insights roles. And I've had the fortune to work in the North America business as well as our Asia-Pacific business. I went over to Asia-Pac to lead our uh, beverage business in Japan and Korea, the marketing on our beverage business, then all our foods marketing across our Asia-Pacific markets, been back in the U.S. for the last 13 years, doing a variety of insights. Um, shopper insights, as well as marketing roles. And I've been in the food service business for about six years and in the marketing leadership role for the last three.
1: Can you talk a little bit about the difference or, or what's unique about the insights business and the sort of things you see in an international role versus a domestic one? You
0: know, insights is a fascinating um, part of the business to work in. And uh, I think whether you're a marketer or really... Uh, anywhere in uh, in a business like PepsiCo or in CPG in general, I think what Insights um, you know does is provides a perspective and a deep understanding on the consumer or the shopper, as we like to say, people more broadly. You know, increasingly, I think that's incredibly important for all of us. In business or in marketing, and certainly uh, you know, underpins anything as it relates to customer experience or user experience. The way insights works uh, across markets, I think, uh, you know, the approach is pretty similar. Um, I think what uh, you know what's interesting about it is how unique, in many ways, the consumer is. Sometimes our operators are the operating landscape. You know, local norms, behaviors, uh, you know, customs there. You know, Japan is different from Korea, never mind from from the U.S. or or, or the Philippines.
1: Sure, absolutely. Spend a little time in in all of those countries, right? Beyond the obvious, there are cultural differences, there are consumption differences and behavior patterns, and and that sort of thing that probably teach you a lot about how to tease out nuances of insights and make sense of them in really interesting ways, which is probably helpful in the current role. I understand that internally you talk about the difference between a customer or an operator and the consumer. Does Insights look at doing analytics around both of those groups or is it focused more on, more on one versus the other?
0: You know, it's really gotta be both. There are groups across the organization that may focus on one uh, versus the other. You know, certainly it's a big company. But, uh, you know, if I, if I look at our overall insights organization, it, it encompasses consumer insights and shopper insights and, you know, and data analytics and uh, data scientists. I, I think at this point, what's important is to build a comprehensive and dynamic understanding of people, not just as consumers, nor just as shoppers, but in a, in a more holistic way to understand them as people, what their motivations are. You know, broadly what their behaviors are, not just in a moment, but over the course of a day or a week or a lifetime. And, uh, you know, that becomes a more important way to understand people as you seek to build brands authentically and genuinely to help meet their needs, uh, whether it's individual brand or a a portfolio of brands. And to your point, that's different in different markets and and different contexts. And it's uh, incredibly dynamic space now, I would argue more than ever. It's never been a more interesting time to be uh, in insights or analytics, uh, nor a marketer uh, because of the dynamism of the world we're all living in as well as working in.
1: Sure. I mean, I would even argue in, in CPG and food and beverage and, and that sort of thing. I read just the other day about a, a company, Marketing water for having an, an insane evaluation for a, for a new company when there seems like it's really a crowded marketplace. But consumers, people are relating to brands in certain ways, and there's a lot of opportunity to create value. So can we extend this a little bit and talk a little bit about then your current role and responsibilities and where you play in this mix?
0: So as the marketing lead in food service, the food service business, the way to think about it for your audience uh, is, you know, food services where people eat or, or dine, it's where, they, it's where they play, it's where they travel, uh, it's often where they work or go to school. So, uh, you know, those are customers like Marriott or Regal or Caesars and MGM or Buffalo Wild Wings and Applebee's or Taco Bell. Uh, you know, those are the types of customers and contexts that the food service business Uh, really is responsible for.
1: How is it like fundamentally different than the other departments of the company?
0: Well, it's definitely part of PepsiCo uh, and in some ways is, um, you know, very much uh, kind of a business within a business at PepsiCo. And you talked about the size of it um, earlier. In terms of some of the organizations that, you know, I would compare it to, you have some organizations that are more focused on what we call our retail customers, whether it's Walmart and 7-Eleven and um, Dollar General or Target, uh, whereas our focus is on uh, on these customers, these food service customers that I've talked about. It seems to me
1: that it would give your organization another layer of metrics that you're that you're thinking about, another layer of experience, right? As a retail consumer, I might go places that I know, but I might just go to to some other place uh, that just happens to be convenient because I'm walking down the street, I'll pop into 7-Eleven just as much as I would to CVS if, if I'm just thirsty at that moment. It's different if I'm Marriott and trying to generate an experience inside of a, a high-end hotel or a Taco Bell if I'm trying to activate something, for example, that's that's highly related to the brand. So is that a fair assessment to say that there are um, the experiential or uh, differences that you're getting after because a lot of the folks we speak with a lot of them are cmos but a lot of folks come from either in an, an operational or a data background or they come from a marketing and a branding background and it kind of taints the way uh, people think about the customer experience but it actually seems like in this role you might have a, a decent amount of both that you're considering can you can you speak to that
0: Yeah, sure. I I think you're hitting on something really unique and important about food service and something that I, in my role, uh, am really responsible for uh, both understanding and I would say evangelizing across the PepsiCo business. Uh, The biggest part of our business runs through some of those retail customers, to your point. Um, That is... Maybe more transactional to oversimplify. Whereas the experience you get in food service, whether it's in a Marriott or in a Taco Bell, is more experiential, right? It's typically or oftentimes more social. To your point, it often is over a much more extended period of time. And it's also often with high frequency Um, whether that's an experience you're having, call it on premise or in person, or it's a delivered and more digitally driven or started experience. So I think what you're getting at is very much the unique context and experience that um, food service presents for people. And by the way, the people in food service all have experiences in retail. You know, this is something that you and I both recognize. We probably, Amazon comes in your door at the end of the day, you may go to Starbucks, you know, in the morning. You may be at Seven Eleven. You may be ordering from uh, from B Dubs, you know, for lunch. You're living in an omni-channel world today. The construct of retail, to some degree, in food service doesn't um, doesn't really present itself clearly to a to a consumer or to people, and that's increasingly what um, we need to contextualize and understand. When we, uh, when we do our work, when we understand people, when we build our brands, you know, when we build the experiences we, you know, we want to create. But absolutely, I think the heart of your first comment is the unique experiences that you get in food service, which is so exciting about this space.
1: Yeah, it does sound really interesting. It sounds like an opportunity for um, great opportunity and value in, in brand creation, but also a potential for some, some conflict, right? If retail thinks in a more transactional way, and you're thinking about an experience there, it, it just seems like there, there is a potential for fundamentally different points of view about some some important things that could be confusing, not only to the consumer, but to the customer, to the operator that you're trying to actually serve. Is that is that fair?
0: I don't know that that is something that is at play to a high degree the way I would think about that and I think what even a lot of our retail customers are very focused on is how they can create better guest experiences for you know for those people as well so I, I'd probably look at it as retail is is looking to create a, a more experiential environment and I think the world you know that that you live in with this podcast in terms of being focused on, on customer experience and guest experience is incredibly relevant across both. And everyone needs to work hard to understand that guest and or consumer and create a better experience for them. What's important is understanding what the nature of a better experience is, right? And there are probably some common underpinnings, things like convenience, you know, things like you know, depending on the context, something that's maybe unique and special, certainly relevant is going to be incredibly important. Value is always a constant um, at a high level and is also dynamic and um, and very much unique and dynamic uh, across the different contexts as well. So I think it's less attention than a, a common goal um, that we all acknowledge. We may pursue it in different ways and and learn from one another as, um, you know, as we pursue it. Got it. That makes sense. I like what you
1: say, less attention and more a common goal to get that nature of a, of a better experience. Does the organization then allow, or is it just something you do from leadership, the ability to share information, insights, cross pollinate sort of best practices against other folks inside the organization or with other, Uh, operators who are also concerned about experience? How do you you share that across what appear to be from the outside potential silos?
0: Yeah, we've got different groups that, uh, you know, our Global Insights team spans and supports all the different functions across the business, uh, across all our different sectors around the world. So that's an example of creating centers of excellence or capabilities that, you know, that help lift and shift and and build capability and share best practices. Uh, So, you know, I think that's one example of how we do it in a big organization, you can ensure that you've got horizontal learnings. You know, and we do that across all kinds of different horizontals. Okay, sure, super.
1: How did you first get involved in CX?
0: You know, the way I think about that is I've, from day one, you know, that's been uh, really at the heart of what, um, you know, my work and my roles have been. I, I think it may not always have been called CX or UX. But, you know, my first job at PepsiCo was I was in uh, a category management role on the beverage business in California. And that's fundamentally about presenting the right portfolio in context to a shopper, whether they're at Albertsons or, or Safeway. And, you know, to my mind, that's about optimizing the experience, understanding a consumer's needs um, in the context of a store, not just in a store, but where you are in that store and and, and how you're moving through that store from, you know, entrance all the way to checkout. And, you know, that's an ongoing capability. And I think that's really all about CX in a lot of ways. It's always been a... um, a capability that's been done together with a customer and focused on people and how they move through that environment. So I think from from that starting point in every role I've ever had, you know, CX has been at the root of it. And, you know, one thing that I think is really important is in some ways for everyone in the company to think that way about, uh, no matter what your role is, whether you're in sales or finance, what's the, you know, how are you just... Um, thinking about the consumer or the user and the customer and how you build a better brand experience and a better business, you know, as part of that, you know, that should be at the heart of every CPG organization. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, I I would totally uh, agree. What we've heard in practice is that sometimes that's not really the case and that organizations somehow survive and or thrive even in spite of that. But um, that a lot of times, especially in the in the environment that we're in right now, um, such gains can be short lived if you're not thinking about the consumer. So, do you think if the that your CX essence, CX in your bones, is that you know you something that that you know you have that drove you into certain positions that always allowed you to exude that, or is it something that's already kind of written into the fabric of of PepsiCo uh, writ large?
0: I'd say both. You know, I think for me, it's maybe in my DNA in terms of being curious about people and curious about behavior and curious about brands and, and how they're built. And I think if you have that, then, you know, within that, again, is is a CX mindset. I think at PepsiCo, if you if you look at the first principle behaviors of PepsiCo, uh, you know, the first one is start with the consumer. And, you know, that is critically important no matter what function you're in. The second one, by the way, is act like an owner. And I think that speaks to, you know, what I was suggesting uh, a minute ago, which is no matter where you are in the business, uh, you know, be an owner of the brands, be an owner as it relates to uh, understanding your customers um, and, and helping your customers and, and supporting that business.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and it seems like it gives people such guidance. They know how to engage, they know what to do and what to think, and how to respond in certain vague and uncertain situations, which uh, which sounds sounds pretty cool. So, if we shift gears a little bit and talk about the vision for PepsiCo Food Service, it um, it seems like you guys have come a long way, but there's obviously always things that people want to do to improve. Can you talk about your CX vision for the organization for the future?
0: The way I think about uh, RCX vision is, you know, how do we best build our business and our brands in context? And that context is the context of consumers and customers and uh, where those consumers and customers are uh, at this moment. And it's a dynamic, constantly shifting world that we have to do that. But as long as we continue to focus on building our brands in context, and the business behind it, then I think that muscle, and we have models underneath it to help us do that and do it with discipline and build the practice, then I think, you know, we're going to be consistently uh, strong and I think advantaged in the way that we work as a partner with our customers in that regard as well. We have a simple model. We call it the five E's. Uh, and we love alliteration at PepsiCo. It's a big organization. You got to keep things simple. And the five E's is a, a really simple way for us to understand the consumer journey through whatever that context it is, whether it's on an airline or through an airport or through a hotel. Uh, the first one is entice. The second is enter. Then engage. Uh, then uh, enjoy or excite. And then echo. And you know those are not brilliant per se. But what it is, it's each stage of a journey. And then what we do is we build insight underneath each one of those and then try to pick uh, either some or all of those moments uh, to connect with those people, with our brands in a relevant way and do it together with our customers. And, you know, as simple as that may sound, if I looked back a couple of years and I looked at the work we did as a marketing organization, we would not have consistently delivered work that reflected that. And I don't want to sit here and say that all the work we do delivers on all those five E's with excellence in every example. But what I do feel good about is that we're making progress in that regard and building that capability, so that we're more consistent, we're more effective, and our customers, I think, are uh, are benefiting from that.
1: I could see that, and I love the I love the five E's uh, alliteration things that help people remember. Does anything stand out from the five E's that's kind of recently highlighted some shifts or trends that that you're that you're paying attention to now?
0: Yeah, I mean a couple of things I'd say. If you think about some of the, the challenges of COVID, um, you know, if you think about you know the enjoy component of it, you know, that's been impacted. You know, now you have concerns about safety or hygiene that impact that. So you know, as we think about the work we do, what, one of the things, one example of what we've done is we've invested in a lot of our equipment in order to create a, uh, a safer experience. And also, uh, as we've done that, a more personalized experience in many cases in that moment. So we've done that through things like utilizing some of those technologies you're talking about to create contactless pouring. Uh, we've created the ability to, you know, authenticate as a user and connect to equipment so that you can create a personalized beverage experience that's tailored to your unique preferences. You know, if I think about Echo, increasingly important as we talk about moving from transactional to longitudinal, you know, partnering up with customers who are trying to drive greater loyalty, obviously, in a, an incredibly fragmented world, as we're Creating authentication, um, you know what we're able to do is then um, connect with some of these consumers and help give them a reason to come back and visit again. Whether it's a piece of equipment or a customer, you know, to some degree, the answer to that question, to my mind, depends on what's the problem to solve that a customer has. Uh, Entice is a challenge because a lot of customers are really challenged with driving traffic. Right? You think about and needing to get people back into, you know, fill in the blank, their restaurants, you know, their hotels on their planes, you know, that becomes increasingly a unique problem to solve for, um, you know, for some of our customers. So I, I think the short answer is it depends. Each of them can be incredibly important. And there is work. And just like any marketing work to find the insight, the tension, create a great brief, and try to focus the work against, you know, whatever the the most relevant problem to solve is. And, you know, I think those kinds of disciplines are, are always critical to uphold in, you know, this work and any work.
1: Yeah, those are really great examples to help contextualize the five E's in a very real current and visceral way. So there are there other channels that you have as a, as a CX team for driving innovation?
0: For argument's sake, we used to spend a lot of time doing our innovation work together with our R&D organization, product innovation, package innovation when you think about the pepsi business and the pepsico business that's what you think about it is increasingly important for us and uh you know if think about what trend or technology has impacted our lives that's going to be maybe most sustained and you talked about it earlier is what i might call digital first so what that requires us to do whether it's our vending machines or our fountain equipment we have to bring a really digital first mindset to the development of that equipment and that entire experience most marketers when they think about digital first they're talking about media buys right and they're talking about content creation and talking about creating digitally native content that works for mobile or maybe they're talking about tiktok what we in food service have to think about is how do you you know how do you have an experience between the device that's probably in your hand And the way that you're connecting to, um, you know, a, a brand or a product experience in that context, right? So you're familiar with Amazon Go as a store, for example, right? We've created a cooler called PepsiCo Quick Pick, which is essentially a smaller version of that. And it leverages AI and computer vision. It allows you to essentially open a cooler, a glass front cooler door with a variety of different products in it. Uh, authenticate via credit card, choose whatever variety of products you want, take those out. The moment you close the door, the transaction is closed, right? What that's led to is, first of all, it's 99% um, effective in terms of the technology and it's driving uh, north of 50% increases in revenue uh, because people are uh, finding what they want. They're having a great experience with the cooler itself. And in many cases, they're buying more than one unit. When you think about a vending experience, that's typically not easy to do. So it's a really, in some ways, simple execution that leverages technology, digital payments, existing capabilities that folks have on a phone or in a a card, and it's creating a better experience. So we've seen great success, and we're gonna be really scaling that through the course of the next one to two years. And that's the kind of thing that we're doing that I might call digitally first. What it also does is labor is a huge challenge for a lot of our customers and a lot of our businesses. That enables a unattended or more lightly attended uh, retail environment for a customer, right? Imagine where else we'll be able to take that where we can create more lightly attended or unattended environments. We've got another test going with Kansas University, and a partner of ours called Newsstand, which is the entire uh, campus store, which we've really reimagined, redesigned. You can order in advance. You know, you can you can pay. Um, you can essentially transact unattended. There's a media component to it. Different ways to engage, create loyalty and engagement with the students at KU. So that's an exciting test for us as well. And I think again, another example of how we're uh, understanding what consumers are looking for, creating, I think, new unique experiences for them that are enhancing their experiences with our brands, and as a result, in most cases, leading to, you know, call it a higher revenue moment and context, which, you know, is obviously a good thing and one of the um, one of the objectives we have. Oh,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I mean, you want to implement these changes for great experience, for, um, you know, for all of the all of the ease, I guess you would say. Right. But you also want to see the returns. Right. You want to see the financial returns and the thing that says people are consuming or purchasing or more loyal. And you seem to have the knowledge of actually what sort of responses happen in a very micro way, which is pretty pretty exciting. Uh, you also alluded to something else, which is the the last thing we'll have time to talk to before we go to the lightning round. You alluded to the ability to address some sort of sustainability initiatives to address, you know, uh, plastic and waste and that sort of thing. And those are increasingly things that we're hearing are that are important to consumers of all of all generations, but particularly younger ones, like you, you alluded to at the universities and such. Can you talk a little bit about how that comprehensive picture of increasing the experience and listening to what people have said, but also addressing sustainability has become part of your CX?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'll set a little bit of context for PepsiCo here. Uh, you know, PepsiCo is, Um, is very committed to this from Ramon, our global CEO, on down. And our our mission is what we call winning with purpose. And the purpose component is, uh, I think, um, increasingly important. And we're looking to transform our business from end to end with that in mind. And there are a range of different commitments that we've made where I'm proud to say we're leading the way and actions we're beginning to take to uphold those commitments. And a lot of those are captured under an initiative we call PepsiCo positive. So that's high level where the company is. And uh, again, I, I say I'm proud of it because I think that's important for me and tens of thousands of other employees as well. It's also important for our customers and for our consumers. One of the things we know is that in the pandemic, sustainability actually became more important. Uh, and I think that's because people became more conscious of the world they live in, and it's arguably vulnerability, and they became more conscious of their own actions and choices. So that didn't you know, diminish in importance, it increased in importance. We're also uh, looking to um, innovate in, uh, in other packaging, uh, in order to, uh, create more sustainable packaging from a material point of view. Um, you know, we've made commitments in, in certainly hundred percent recyclable and then getting to more reusable packaging. We're also looking to, um, test reusable environments in context. Imagine, you know, going to a quick serve restaurant and having it be a, um, a no single use packaging environment. So reusable reusable cups, There's look, there's a cost to that. And there's certainly a complexity to that. But I believe if you can create a, uh, an experience and a value through that, then there's a way forward there together with customers. And we have a number of customers that we're working with in that regard. I'll call out Veil vale Properties as one of our best partners in this regard and a partner that really pushes us hard to make us better and if you think about the experience of going to Vail you're you're outdoors you're you're in the environment you're in that context they've made a commitment to be net zero by 2030 across their resorts and as one of their primary partners we have to get there too so we're going to work together and that's going to um, build capability and learning in our own organization as to then how we can help other customers do that as well. So those are some great examples of, I think, areas we're focused on. It's early days, we got a lot more work to do, but food service is a fantastically unique environment, I think, uh, where consumers are really conscious of their behaviors and we have the opportunity to lead the way and help change some of those behaviors.
1: Yeah, it sounds it sounds great and it also sounds like there' are the, the, there's a complementary nature of the desire of a customer like likeville properties and the company like in in PepsiCo positive that can create a, a flywheel effect right that that could probably extend to other parts of the of the business and the organization and really create interesting opportunities that sounds very exciting So um, we'll pop into the lightning round for real quick answers, uh, questions that we ask um, every guest, and I'm sure you might have have, might have already heard this. So three quick questions. Uh, First one, as a consumer, what's an example of one of your favorite experiences?
0: I'm a big fan of Warby Parker. Um, I'm wearing their glasses. I think they've done a really great job of reinventing the you know the experience through bricks and mortar, and and as well as creating uh, a really integrated you know, online, offline experience for for their guests of which I I count myself as one.
1: So uh, item number two, if there's one thing you could change about people's perception of the role of CX at a company, what would it be?
0: Act like an owner, Uh, one of our behaviors. I mentioned it earlier and I think, don't have it be someone else's job, make it your job, make it everyone on your team's job to think about that experience, and organize at least a part of your work and your mindset um, to be hyper-conscious about how you can make that a better experience.
1: Yeah, that's a great one. I might have to I might have to borrow that, right? <laughs> and I think the more people have equity in a company and the more people think that they are actually part of an owner or see themselves as part of it, it might, it might even be easier for them to do. So that should be, should be interesting. Um, last question. Um, For our listeners, what one lesson would you want someone to take away from your experience as a CX leader?
0: I think empathy is at the heart of it. It's about understanding people. You have to literally walk that experience in their shoes and put yourself in that context and feel it. And, you know, that allows you to really internalize it and then play from there empathy often
1: comes up as one of those one of those things right I'm starting to be curious about what makes someone a great cxo or a great CX team person like how would you identify or screen or self-select people or select people I should say who have the capacity for such empathy does anything come to mind for you if you're going to give people a tip
0: well I think I, I'm not sure there's a silver bullet there I I do think that there are some people who are naturally more curious and have energy to um, understand other people. And, you know, that's probably a great place to start. There are experiences that you can have. We've talked about insights as being one that will help build more of a, call it a functional muscle and a language, I think. Behavioral economics as a discipline is, I think, uh, a capability to infuse into a great um, CX organization and, you know, customer uh, empathy and understanding as well. Because if you can't connect it to a customer's problems to solve, business, organization, culture, et cetera, then chances are you're going to be challenged to, action it and drive commercial change because it's the inside is one thing. The empathy is one thing, but the commercial action that's going to change a behavior and create a better experience for that user and a better business for you and your customer is that's the outcome metric.
1: Wow. There's so much, so much to it. So much, so much to learn and so much to apply to um, an industry that, you know, and people, see, You see it all the time, you see it every day, but I wonder how many people really think about the level of care and thought and insight that goes into making something that's a cool experience a really cool experience. So I, I appreciate you and, and thank you for sharing all this with us. Uh, I learned a lot and feel like I respect a lot of those things and evaluate them a lot more with the lens of all the care that went into it. So um, thanks so much, Scott.
0: Thank you, Phil. It was a pleasure.
1: Yeah, really great. Really great speaking with you. And that's it for now. We got to let Scott go, but um, thank you all for joining us again. And we'll see you next time on the next episode of the Customer Experience Show. Take care. It always comes back to empathy, but it's brilliant how Scott ties empathy to commercial action. Insight, empathy, and commercial action are all needed to drive better business and a refreshing customer experience. Thank
0: you again for listening to this episode of the customer experience show. This podcast is brought to you by IBM. If you are responsible for customer experience, they created a white paper just for you. In the CX North Star report, you can learn more about how to activate your CX vision. Download it with the link in the show notes.